everyone, this is episode 23 of Nature's Pulse. My name is John Lieber. You can reach me on Twitter or Instagram, which is at jungle underscore capital. This is for the week of February 15th, so I hope you had a good Valentine's. Um, it's going to be a pretty rapid-fire show today, but we still have a couple interesting things to talk about, uh, so let's get started. Okay, I want to start this week with a little bit of history. So I want to shine a spotlight on a New Zealand mycologist. Her name was Joan Marjorie. Uh, she lived from 1892 to 1962, and she was a world authority on hypocrelias. And sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong, uh, but this is a kind of fungi with brightly colored spore-producing structures. She started her own research group, went on many solo fungi collecting expeditions, has 30 species and an entire genus named for her, and built the number of specimens in the New Zealand fungal herbitarium up from 4,000 to 35,000, which uh, is a big accomplishment. And if you're watching on YouTube, I just have a picture here uh, and the fungi that she was the authority on. So um, I just wanted to give a shout out to her to start with and uh, recognize her <clears throat> important work. So thank you, Joan, for your contributions. Uh, next, we're going to uh, look at Togo in Africa. So uh, just pretty good news coming out of there. Uh, so the UNDP uh, decided to um, invest in conservation in that country. So they put up 135 million uh, CFA francs, which is about 201 euros uh, for environmental conservation in the, in the region. Um, and that kind of money can go really far in Togo. Uh, Togo has a really important ecosystem uh, with some of the most uh, uh, interesting and uh, endangered biodiversity in the world, including the typical types of um, African fauna that we're all uh, familiar with, like zebras. So I just wanted to provide that kind of news, and it'll be interesting in what uh, kind of projects they actually fund, but the uh, the funding is the first step. And I just wanted to read a little bit here about how, so there's already 112 projects financed in Togo, and Togo aims to reduce its greenhouse gas emissions by 31% by 2030, including a voluntary reduction of around 11%. The West African country has made its commitments under the 2015 Paris Agreement, which has set a new course in the fight against climate change. So that's good news, and uh, as always, it's great to see here what the UNDP uh, is doing. Uh, so if you follow environmental news, you might be familiar with this next story, which has just so much to it, and I'm not claiming to know as much as maybe I should, but there was a couple uh, themes that I wanted to, to touch on with it. So Disha Ravi, uh, she's a, a climate activist in India, and she's been arrested uh, by the Delhi police. Uh, let me try to give a brief background about what's going on in this situation if you're not familiar. And I'm sorry if I've made any errors here, uh, because not only have I been reading, but I've actually been really trying to proactively um, talk with people from India who have a better sense of what's actually going on. So there is a farmer's protest in India and is taking place across the country. 
it's a big deal um, to, to the point where it has been gardening um, international attention. <clears throat> and the the actual specifics of what the par farmers are protesting, I'm not completely clear about. I know that essentially it is um, a corporate takeover and it's punishing smaller farmers and there's some a lot of tensions uh, with some changes that the, the federal government made about, around storage of materials and how how things are done there. Um, but for whatever reason, Rihanna decided to get involved and Greta, some pretty big names. And um, that led to Greta posting a, uh, a slideshow, I guess, talking about how you can be an activist, how you can get involved, how you can contribute in supporting the farmers. And uh, Disha, uh, I guess she took that and created a toolkit and the toolkit was essentially used um, as an activism set so she would give it out to community activists and it was basically a guideline on how to um, how to protest and how to um, to be an activist so that was the trigger as it was basic uh, as she was accused of inciting violence and um, that's not good. Uh, everyone I talked to uh, from India, whether they had the opinion of her being, you know, a, like a really inspiring figure or her just being kind of wacky and not with it, no one that I talked to said that they think that she should have been actually arrested for what she was doing or and jailed. So um, it's just my observation that this... Um, this inciting violence uh, criminality factor uh, really seems to be mostly used as a tool to stomp down dissidents. Uh, and that's not just in India, but around the world. <clears throat> it was pretty interesting um, in the States, how we, we recently saw that as well, where um, the president was accused of inciting violence and then under the law, he was he was uh, he was not convicted for that, but in the court of public opinion, he did seem to be. And if that same logic was applied, I guess it would set up Greta and Rihanna to be, and and Disha to be banned off social media for inciting violence. So, um, I guess the lesson here is that free speech and and free action non-criminal action and non-criminal speech need to be protected especially against those you don't agree with so i think this is an easier case for many people to see what was wrong <clears throat> but when someone perhaps like the former president was saying something it's easy to um, have a knee-jerk reaction and want bans to happen arrests to happen um, but it's so essential to avoid situations like this um, where it's now being set as a pretext uh, against you know uh, a less clear situation that uh, we protect all speech and, and action even for those we disagree with because <clears throat> if we believe in freedom that's what freedom is freedom for everyone not just freedom of one uh, of one thought line so uh, I hope that she gets released soon, and, I, and if, if India does want to be <clears throat> a fun the functioning democracy, 
that it uh, that it hit, that it definitely um, aims to be, then I think that they need to release her and um, stop doing these type of crackdowns uh, on people that have different um, different uh, political desires than them. So that's all I have to say on that. I know that I'm missing a ton of uh, nuances and details, but I just thought the the theme of freedom of speech and action is something worth highlighting. Okay, so um, this is almost humorous at a certain point. I guess I feel like I just want to say like, all right, come on down this week, Billy. Um, because it feels like every week we have a new billionaire or someone high profile jumping into the uh, climate disaster, climate change uh, discourse. So Bill Gates is throwing his hat into the uh, the discourse. He is writing a book or is he's set to release a book called How to Avoid a Climate Disaster. And this is happening right before COP24, I think, uh, in Glasgow coming up here. And uh, it'll be later in the year. But I don't think that there's any coincidence that he's releasing this book right ahead of that, that summit where all the world leaders are set to met, meet and hash out um, climate uh, action. So um, I don't have much opinion on this. Uh, I mean... It's kind of a similar discussion we had about Elon Musk last week. Uh, although I do, I did notice that um, last week I was kind of defending Elon Musk, saying like, "Hey, you know, the situation is that we do have an elite class, and I'm happy at least if the, they're going to act." Uh, but then there was a ton of people um, saying like all kinds, like all kinds of things against him. But they seem to be much more quiet, quieter about Bill Gates. <clears throat> which makes me wonder if um, perhaps there was just a personal vendetta or some tribalism happening last week, which would confirm some of the things that I was um, accusing people of. But regardless, um, whether you believe that it's good to have him in the debate or not, it's definitely going to cause... Uh, drastic action in my opinion because uh, these elites when they start pressuring politicians that tends to be something that works quite well for uh, stirring action and um, in a way I almost wish that Gates and Elon got into this uh, uh, directly much sooner uh, I wonder what would have taken place if they had grabbed the reins before Al Gore had had done so. Um, obviously, it's going to be political no matter what, but I feel like with Gore, I feel like he hijacked the entire discussion around climate change, and I feel like his uh, involvement was probably a net negative, not because I dislike him, but just by immediately making it, it a liberal issue. I think um, really did not help. It would have been much more strategic to have someone who, uh, like Elon and Bill, are very wealthy, highly successful capitalist, but 
recognize the social change that needs to happen. They, I think, probably could have brought both sides together much better. And so it's quite unfortunate what happened with uh, with Al Gore. But um, anyways, they're all involved now. We're going to see what happens. But I think that there's going to be some big changes coming our way. Um, one other thing to, to note is that his proposals, just like Elon's, rely heavily on on technology. And just like I said last week, there's people that seem a faction that seems to be completely against technology. And what I say is that, just like I said last week, there's going to be it's going to need to be a combination of natural, cultural, and technological solutions to solve climate change. It's going to take need to take all we have. So let's not rule out technology, especially before we know what it is exactly. Don't have much to say about this, but it's it's interesting. So science cl scientists cloned the first U.S. endangered species. Um, they cloned a black-footed ferret. So yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, it's technically good news. The problem is that there's going to be lack of genetic diversity. So I don't know how they're going to deal with that in their populations. But it's really really interesting. It's uh, kind of a uh, I think it's good technology to develop just as a last ditch Hail Mary effort to save species. Um, but it's it's early on in the process and it's really cool that they were able to do it um, for one for one species and hopefully this leads to um, some more optimism because if there's a way that cloning can be done with a um, genetic diversity um, integrated somehow uh it could be absolutely life-changing for um for our species conservation but this is actually one issue that uh, i think is an important tool but ultimately we need to protect habitat for species because as much as we can make um, as many animals as we want if they don't have habitats to live in it's going to be really hard to uh to maintain their population so let's keep that in mind but uh, science never fails to amaze and um, I just wanted to bring this piece by uh, Cecil uh, to the forefront who's a, a lecturer at the University of British Columbia and director of the Natural Based Solutions Institute and just a really great guy. Uh, he's always really helped me. Um, so I just wanted to highlight some of the work that he's doing. Uh, he has a new uh, proposal for urban forestry. Uh, and he's talking about the 330-300 rule. So what he's saying is that um, there should be three trees for every person to see. So the first rule is that every citizens should be able to see at least three trees of a decent size from their home. Recent research demonstrates that the importance of a nearby, especially visible green for mental health and well-being during the COVID-19 pandemic. People have often found their homes or direct neighborhoods placing greater importance on nearby trees and or other greens in the gardens or streets. Okay, point is that people need to see trees. I think we all recognize the um, value in that. So three trees from every home. 30% tree canopy cover in every neighborhood, 
Studies have shown an association between urban forest canopy and, for example, cooling and better microclimates and possibly also reducing air pollution and noise by creating more leafy neighborhoods. We encourage people to spend more time outdoors and interact with their neighborhoods, which promotes the social health of, of neighbors. So I think we know, all know, again, the benefit of trees, but just this is a good way of nailing down kind of a, a minimal acceptance uh, for neighborhoods as far as canopy cover. And then 300 meters from the nearest park or green space. Many, many studies have highlighted the importance of proximity and easy access to high quality green space that can be used for recreation. A safe five minute walk or 10 minute stroll is often mentioned. The European Regional Office of the World Health Organization recommends a maximum distance of 300 meters to the nearest green space of at least one hectare. This encourages the recreational use of green space with impacts on both physical and mental health. Applying the 330-300 rule will improve and expand local urban forests in many cities and with, with that promote health, well-being, and resilience. So I think we already knew the benefits and to be honest, most of those numbers are also familiar. It's just a good um, kind of catchphrase, 330-300. And um, it's a simple framework that can be scaled across the world. So um, thank you, Cecil, for this proposal. I think it's gonna, um, catch on for sure. So that's it for this week's episode. I'll just note that things are going good here in Glasgow and I'm learning lots. Uh, we're doing some GIS for the first time this week and that's how I've been really immersed uh, this uh, in this. We also got a, an assignment uh, that focuses on Glasgow and studying how the regeneration of uh, Glasgow since the decline in, in its industry has um, how it relates to to the city's sustainability. So it's an, an interesting assignment and it's helping me learn a lot about Glasgow. Um, unfortunately, the restrictions here are really heavy still, so I haven't actually gotten out too much other than just for my runs every day or so, um, but not really uh, getting to intimately know the city yet. But still, uh, it's a start and I'm really happy and learning a lot, so um, that's all good. But I appreciate you guys listening, and I'll be back next week to uh, to bring you up to speed with the news again. So let's uh, let's uh, keep in touch until then. Thank you. Bye.